Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. Yeah, I love hearing that. All righty. So, um, man, questions. We all have questions, don't we? How many of you have questions today? Like you just, it can be any question you want. Um, I know I've had questions. I've had questions like, when will I never have to wait for an amusement park ride line for an hour, right? Or I've asked things like, why is pizza so good? How many of you like pizza tonight? Who likes pizza in here? Whose favorite meal is pizza? Okay, there's a few of you. That's fine. It's fine. All right, so questions. We all have them. Some of the top questions asked in the world today are actually pretty interesting. Some of them ask questions like, is there life outside of earth? Will humans ever live somewhere not on earth? A question I read was that, this is a big one that a lot of people your age are actually asking currently, and that is, is there life after death? Questions. We all have questions. And while asking about pizza or amusement park lines or whether aliens and UFOs exist are fun and they're, you know, we actually do want answers to them, sometimes in life we have deeper questions, don't we? Sometimes in life there's questions that you want answers to more than anything. Questions like, will we ever end world hunger? Maybe you're here today and you're asking, how can I share Jesus with a friend who's just lost a parent? Maybe you've asked the question, how can I be a light for my friend who's considering self-harm or taking their life? Questions. We all have them. And so that's why we wanted to do this series when we sat down and thought about what we wanted to do for the last couple months of the year. And the question that we're going to look at too today is a big one. So what we're going to do is over the next four weeks, we are going to look at four big questions that we believe you and people around you are asking, even if you don't realize you're asking them. Starting today with the question, when people are hurting, where is God? When people are hurting, where is God? A time in my life that I think I have asked that question more than any is when I take you back to senior year of high school. Senior year of high school is supposed to be great, isn't it? It's supposed to be a time where you have worked towards this your entire life, essentially. You are close to the finish line. You get to run across. You get to celebrate. You get to have friends and family over and all this food and games. It's supposed to be fun, isn't it? For me, that's not my story. Senior year of high school actually ended on a sour note, if you will, and that was my senior semester, spring of 2015, when my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer. And even worse than that, when that cancer took his life two days before my high school graduation. We weren't partying. We weren't celebrating. My grandfather was a great man. We all loved him. But it wasn't necessarily a celebration of my high school graduation. It was a time to get around and celebrate his life, his memories, his legacy his hard-working ethic. And in that time, I asked questions, guys. I didn't go to bed a single night for a while asking the question, God, where are you? 
God, why did you abandon my family in this moment? Why are you not at work right now? I had questions. We all have questions. We all want answers. And so that's why I said over the next four weeks, we want to answer some of the biggest questions you and your friends are asking. And like we've mentioned, we have that box back there that we want to make sure, please use that. Please write 6,000 questions down. We will print as much paper as needed to answer as many questions as you have. Because we get a four-week series cannot answer all the questions you guys have in your minds right now. Use that box over the next couple of weeks as we build the questions for this Q&A. And today, to answer this question, when people are hurting, where is God? I want to go to an Old Testament story. And this story is about a woman that you may have heard, and her name is Esther. If you don't know who Esther is, I want to bring you up to speed with where we're going to jump into her story today. And so essentially, Esther is in the Old Testament of the Bible. You may have heard her story about bravery and sacrifice, and that's true, but there's another point I want to make about the story of Esther today. She was a young girl chosen by the king of Persia to be his queen. She was not a Persian woman. She was of Jewish descent, and the king didn't know this. Neither did anybody else except her cousin, Mordecai. Her cousin Mordecai told her to keep this secret. Fast forward into the story, she becomes the queen of Persia. The king has no idea. It's only her and Mordecai that know. And the king's, basically his highest, his highest advisory was named Haman. Haman was a racial, political leader. He wanted to see the end of the Jewish people. And so he wrote up a verdict, and he said, King, you should sign this. And what's worse than the man who wrote it is the one who decreed it, which was the king. This Mordecai heard that this was happening, and he, he basically went to Esther, and he pleaded, look, like you got to do something. you got to go before the king. you got to stop this. And that's where we pick up today in Esther chapter 4. Mordecai also gave him a copy of a written decree issued, so, um, issued in... I'm sorry, that, that messed up. Susa, ordering their destruction so that Hatch, Hatchach might show it to Esther, explain it to her and command her to approach the king, implore his favor and plead with him personally for her people. So he came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to him and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned the death penalty unless the king extends the golden scepter, allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king in the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded them. Now, in case you're a little confused, I'll sum up what you've just read, what we've just read together. 
This verdict has been passed. Mordecai basically cries out to Esther, Esther, you need to go do something. You need to go before the king. You need to beg that he stops this. It seems simple enough, right? Let's go ask my husband real fast. Hey, hubby, come here. Um, you did something. I don't like it. I need you to change that. It's, it's not that simple, though, because as Esther says, there's a, there's a command that if a person goes before the king who has not been summoned, they receive the death penalty. Yes, even the queen herself could fall under that command. Can you imagine that? You, can't, you don't even feel safe like approaching your husband unless he has summoned you without death penalty? So she's afraid. She's afraid of what might happen. But Mordecai says something very profound at the end there. He says, maybe, Esther, maybe you have been put in this place for a time such as this. That's a profound statement, and maybe, he's saying, maybe, Esther, what you've gone through, what you have been through, why you have been placed here and now is for a time such as this. And that leads me to my main point today, and that is God has placed you where you are to help those who hurt. God has placed you where you are to help those that hurt. For Esther, she was placed where she was for a purpose. She was to be the people's savior. I can't imagine living in a scenario where you're in, she's in a palace and she's been told that all of her people are now condemned to death. And she has a choice. Give in to the fear and don't approach the king. And spell certain death for all of her people. Or to muster up the courage to believe that God has placed her where she is at this moment to be the voice that saves her people. And I think a lot of us today would sit in this room and say, Psh, that's easy, that's an easy one. Of course, I would just, I'd march into that throne room and I'd say, yo, king, what is up? You cannot do this. This is wrong. But then I thought, I don't think we would. Because aren't we almost called to that same calling every day of our lives in a smaller scale? You're called to make a difference where you are. You're called to live out your faith where you are. And a lot of times, we see an opportunity to serve and save and like help people, but we're afraid. We're afraid of being called weird. We're afraid of being an outcast. We're afraid of the names that will be called, the, the judgments that will be made on us by our friends. We don't even have to worry about the fear of death, and yet it's something else still stops us from wanting to make a difference. And so it leads me to assume we wouldn't. We'd be in the same position as Esther where she's like, man, I want to save my people, but I'm scared. Esther had a choice, and so she says to Mordecai, fast along with myself and my female servants, servants, and we will do it. Now that we've established the gravity of Esther's scenario, I want to jump back to that question we asked about 
when people are hurting, where is God? And how does that connect to this story? How does that connect to our life today? See, throughout history, we have seen so much suffering. We've seen the Holocaust. We've seen world wars. We've seen sex trafficking. We've seen human trafficking. We've seen homelessness. We've seen people dying for lack of resources. There is suffering all around us, is there not? The world we live in is in turmoil. And if you walk through this life and you don't ask that question, where is God? You might not even be paying attention. And I want to make sure you know, it's okay to be hung up on that question. Where is God? Where is God? Why is he silent? Why doesn't God do anything? I've been stuck on that question a lot. I was stuck on that question when my grandfather died. Where is God? Evil is all around us. The world is crumbling around us. Things are not going the way they should. God, where are you? Where is God? Where is God when that test result comes back positive? Where is God when you lose your friend or family member? Where is God when you are hurting? If you say you've never asked that question before, you might be lying to yourself. Even if you're not a believer, a Christian, you probably have still asked that question to some extent. You want to know what higher power is there? Why is the universe as it is? Why is hurt and suffering around us? Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? What if I told you, though, that God is not distant or silent, but that he is closer than ever before? And you might be like, Josh, that doesn't make sense because clearly all this evil is in the world and there's hurting and there's pain and there's suffering and there's death and there's hunger and there's homelessness and trafficking and holocaust and world wars, right? But what if I'm going to tell you I'm talking about you? I'm talking about me. What if we took the mindset of Esther and we believed that where we sit, where we have been placed is to help those who are hurting? What if God is using you to help those who hurt? What if God is using your testimony, your story, to feed the hungry? If you've ever heard of the artist, the Christian artist Matthew West, he has a song that literally is about this, and it is his inner struggle with God, where he talks about, God, where are you? God, why would you allow this? God, won't you do something? And God said, his response in the song is, God says, I did. I created you. And then that leads Matthew West to ask the question, if not me and if not you, then who? If not you who claim to be Christians, if not you who come and say, I want to make a difference in the world, then who on the world will actually make a difference? I love the phrase, be the change you want to see in the world. Stop asking for there to be change and praying for there to be change and then never actually go and do something about it. Go, do something about it. I promise you, you sit here today And there are people all around you, some in this room right now, 
who have come in here who have a weight on their shoulders. They're going through something. They're struggling. It seems like the light at the end of the tunnel that everybody keeps saying hold out for it just does not exist. They are at the brink. They are at the end. They are done. You get to go make a difference in their life. You get to go help them. You get to be a voice of truth and a voice of hope to them. You get to show them Jesus. You can use your life as a testimony to the faithfulness of God and to what God has done for you and to what he will surely do for others. Right? You get to make the difference. It's time we stop sitting around and asking God to do something and it's time we start going and using the power and position God has given us to do something. How do we do that? What does that mean? How do we get to work? How do we do this? And, the first, and that, it starts by searching for opportunities around you to help those who are hurting. It starts by you searching the opportunities. One of the main professors at Liberty University that I attended, he's uh, the main professor of evangelism. His name is Dr. Wheeler. He is such a great man. He is so wise in, in the realm of evangelism. Um, he says this all the time in his class. He says, stop praying that God would give you opportunities to help those who are hurting and start praying, God, open my eyes to the people already hurting around me. It's not that you've been placed in an area, in a sphere of influence where there's nobody that's hurting. Sadly, it's just that you've chosen to keep your eyes closed. You've chosen to not see the hurt around you. And the reason I can say that so confidently about you is because when I was in your seat, I did the same thing. I wake up every day, God, give me an opportunity to evangelize and to save someone and to help someone. And then I'd be driving down the road and car broke down the side of the road and, nah, nah, I'm late for church. I got to go learn more about Jesus. I don't have time to help that person. We all have opportunities around us. So it's time we stop praying that God would just give us opportunities to start looking at what's already around us. That girl who is being bullied by other girls, go show her Jesus. The boy who's being made fun of for his size, go show him Jesus. The student that looks like they haven't eaten in multiple days, go show him Jesus. The kid who walks in with a black eye and says, they fell down the stairs today, go show them Jesus. There are, obviously we're not in the same world as Esther was, but there's a lot of commonalities, and that is that people are persecuted and mocked every day in today's world for their skin color, for their family situations, for the nationalities, for their social status. They're mocked and made fun of. And just like Esther, we have the opportunity to stand up and make a difference. It's time we start getting to work. And so we search for opportunities to help the, for those that are hurting around us to help them. And secondly, we stop waiting and get to work. 
There's three practical ways I believe that we can get to work, and that's one is help locally. Find an organization close to home. Get involved with them. Help what they're doing. They have a mission to feed the hungry, to give roofs to the homeless. Talk to our church. We have so many great opportunities for you to serve locally the community of Wilson and the surrounding communities. There are opportunities around. Or maybe locally means you going back to your school tomorrow and you saying, wow, that kid who is sitting by themselves, I'm going to go show them Jesus. Despite how uncomfortable it may feel, despite the names I'm going to get called, despite the status that may change around my, my um, influence, I'm going to go show them Jesus. I'm going to go help them. I'm going to go give them hope. That student who feels isolated, bring them into the group. Let them know. This is so important. Let them know you are glad they are alive today. And who knows? Maybe you might just be the voice that saves their life by letting them know that someone notices them. Help locally. Help globally is the second one. There are so many great international organizations. We do the Compassion Child here. You are making a difference in Obed's life by even just giving a dollar, giving 50 cents, giving 25 cents, giving a penny. I don't care. You are making a difference in Obed's life every day. Go on an international missions trip. If, how many of you in the room have ever been on an international missions trip before? Awesome. They change your perspective. When I went to Belmapan, Belize for 10 days in South America, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was about to go off to liberty, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And through that experience, the Lord broke my heart. When you're walking up with a bag of food to a house with a sunken roof, and a mother walks out with her kid whose ribs are showing, you can't help but cry, and you can't help but feel sorry, but you can know, even if this food only lasts them a week, I've shown them Jesus. If you have never been on an international mission trip, yes, the cost is high. The finances are, finances are difficult. But I promise you, people all around you in this church and adults around you, they want you to do it as well. I can almost guarantee they will make it possible for you. But not until you begin that process of saying, I want to go do that. Help locally, help globally, and finally is get educated. Find you and a group of friends. Pick up a book that talks about the culture and the change and the things that are going on. Sit down together in a Bible group, in a book group, and read it. Find questions that pertain to that book and answer them and ask yourselves, how can we practically apply this to our lives? What can we do to make this happen? Help locally, help globally, and get educated. I get it. The world around us is full of hurt, it's full of pain, it's full of suffering. And it leads everybody in the world to ask the question, when people are hurting, where is God? Where is God? We get to be the people who have been placed where we are, when we are, to make a difference for God. And we get to tell them God is still present. God is working behind the scenes. And like Esther, God is inviting you 
to be a change maker. The question I have to ask ourselves is, are we willing? Are we okay with setting aside the fear of the consequences? Or are we going to give in to that and choose to do nothing? Choose to come here every Sunday morning to hear a good Bible lesson, to go hear another lesson, and then to go living our week like we always live with no life change whatsoever. Reading our Bible every day, great. Praying every day, great. We talked about that, the works, right? The works, the works, the works, but until you actually go and give that to somebody else, a hope to somebody else, it doesn't matter, does it? It's time we get up and we get to work. Two questions for you, and that is, who is God calling me to help today? Who in your life? You have somebody. There's somebody, a friend, a family, an acquaintance, a schoolmate. Find them. Help them. Ask them questions. You ever know what a simple high five might change in their life? Secondly is, what next steps do I need to take in helping those who are hurting around me? Is it helping locally? Is it helping globally? Is it getting educated? What next steps do you need to take to help those hurting around you? We always say, I always say here from the stage, I want you to know, you are known, you are loved, you are seen, and you are valued. It's time you start taking that to others. Now that you are known, you are seen, you are loved, and you are valued, it's time you do the same and show the same to others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you for this time that we get to spend together, God. Lord, thank you that you are not silent, that you are not distant, that, God, you are closer than ever. God, you are working behind the scenes, and that, God, you are calling us to get to work. God, you will be exalted among the nations, as you tell us. It's the question now to ask is, will we partake in that, or will we let fear stop us from doing that? God, pray for strength, God, for everyone in this room, not just the students, the adults, myself, Mike, everybody, God, pray. We pray for strength to help us do the right thing, God, to help us do the uncomfortable thing, God. God, let us break down the walls of comfortability and let us step outside of that so that we can make a difference for your kingdom. God, let us help those who are hurting. God, open our eyes to the things that you see, open our mouths to speak only as you speak, God. God, Break our heart for what breaks yours. God, give us the strength and give us the confidence to make a difference in the world today, this week, next week, and every month following, God. Let us be the difference makers we want to see in the world. God, we love you, and we thank you in your name we pray. Amen. Peace, students. You are known, you are seen, you are loved, you are valued. You are dismissed to the next service. Thank you.